0: So let's uh, pray together this morning. Father, we thank you for Alex. I pray that you bless him, give him a good day. And, uh, and as we turn to your word this morning, Lord, I just ask that you'd speak to our hearts in, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we come to Acts chapter 2. We're looking at, at verse 13 uh, through 25. And this passage in John uh, provides us Really, with an uncomfortable contrast, because we're all used to seeing Jesus one way, but but he represents all of God's heart uh, for us, and so often we see Jesus as a gentle shepherd, right? Like if you could picture in your mind who you want Jesus to be, it'd be the the gentle shepherd who cares for his sheep, and yet. That's only one aspect of him. Yes, he's full of grace and he's full of truth. And we saw that in the last uh, little section of John, that he comes to a wedding and he's full of truth. He's the creator of all things. But the practical aspect of grace is so real in that he comes to a wedding. The people are on the verge of tears, in a sense, because there's no more refreshments for the wedding. The bride and groom are going to be shamed. Their parents, they'll never let it down. And you see the practical grace of God coming. He turns water into wine. And what was going to be a disaster uh, turns into a, a, a great celebration of the kindness and grace of God. When we come to the cleansing of the temple, we see that other part of the Lord. We see that that refines fire. We see that the Lord is absolutely committed to to bring purity and holiness to our life. Matter of fact, if you could uh, make a note, uh, if you looked at First Thessalonians four verse three, Paul says this: "This is the will of God." So if you ever, if you ever like cruising through the Bible and say, you know, I just really need to know what is God's will for my life. Maybe you don't want to turn to First Thessalonians 4.3, but it, is, it says this. This is the will of God, your sanctification. That's God's will for your life, for my life, that we don't become, a say, a, a better self, but that we walk in the transformation that comes through that, that personal relationship that we have Jesus, through Jesus Christ. He transforms us from the inside out so that we could walk with him and that we could have fellowship with him. And that comes about oftentimes through di- difficulties that we face in life, which are, can be God's discipline, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, or it could be God's refining fire uh, working to bring about Christ likeness and godliness. And so when we come to this text, we, we see those two aspects. there. They're not mutually exclusive, exclusive, but they're both and. God is full of grace and truth, and he is a refinest fire that wants to purify us. So not that we can be set kind of the, uh, the best version, but so that we can be completely changed and begin to reflect uh, Christ-likeness from the inside out. Come with me to John 2. Look at verse 13. It says, the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there's a couple things that provide the contrast when we look at this verse. The first is in Luke chapter 2, verse 41. It was the practice of Jesus to celebrate the Passover by going to Jerusalem every year since he was a little boy. His parents brought them there. He went, to, he went to Jerusalem to commemorate the great victory that God, the great victory of deliverance that God brought his people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt, and they celebrate this. And they had a, a heart to celebrate it in a particular way. They would cleanse their homes, they would cleanse their hearts so to give honor to God and to, to reflect his holiness. One of the practices that they did, and we can note this in First Corinthians chapter 5, 6-8, through one of the practices is that it's really pretty cool when you think of it. I wish I knew this when I was raising my children. I would have done it. Is that before the Passover, the dad would take a candle, and at night they would go through every nook and cranny in the house they would be looking at every countertop they would be looking in the cupboards they'd be looking you know under the under the beds in the closets and they were looking for one particular thing can you tell me what that is they were looking for some yeast they were looking for some unleavened you know um they were looking for some leaven because biblically that reflected what sin a little leaven Leavens the whole, the whole lump, the whole dough. And so they would go through the house and do this deep cleaning like some of us do on, during springtime. And they'd clean their house and then dad would come along with mom and the kids, they would do this ceremonial inspection trying to find every little bit of yeast or leaven that represented sin and their goal was to have a heart and to have a house that reflected the purity and goodness of God, and so Jesus comes uh, to Jerusalem with with that heart, with that with that heart of celebration to worship His Father, coming into His house as He remembered year after year, year after year as a boy, and here we have the contrast, and the contrast is between holiness and purity and sin and defilement take a look at the text with me the passover the jews was at hand and jesus went up to jerusalem in the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the and the money changers sitting there and he at that point you can drop down to a a, a little bit a little bit farther down, it's it says in verse 17, his disciples remembered that it was written, quote, from Psalm 69, 9, zeal for your house will consume me. And so the contrast is this. Jesus comes with this heart to see his people purifying themselves, cleaning their homes, ceremonially going through with a candle to make sure that their house was pure and spotless and reflected God's holiness and purity and he, Jesus is coming to worship at his father's house and, and and as he enters the court of the Gentiles all as he sees all as Jesus can see is that his father's house had been turned into something that it was that it was not designed to be if you know a little bit, of your Bible history, you know the court of the Gentiles was the outer court of the temple, right? And it was the place where you and I would come. Non-Jewish people would come to the court of Gentiles to worship the living God, the God who delivered his people from Egypt. And Jesus comes into that place and all as he sees is a marketplace with a heart, with a purpose, not to worship God, but a heart to exploit the poor, a heart to use religion for sordid gain, we could put it. And because of his, his passion for his father's house, because of his love to worship his father in purity and holiness, the zeal of the Lord fills his heart. And he takes three lengths of uh, what's understood as a rope that's used to tie up a ship. And he takes those three pieces of rope and binds them together, brings them together and goes after those money changers, those people that are selling animals, those people that are exploiting. Now, how much damage can you do with a, with a, with a three strand, say piece of rope? Well, Pretty, enough, pretty much enough to cause chaos. So Jesus comes through and begins whipping the animals and overturning the coin changes. Why? Because he's not just grace and truth, but he's a refiner's fire. And his heart is to bring forth holiness in his father's house. Take a look at the text with me. He says, uh, cords, and and he drove them out of the temple, and the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. And his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So often in the last several months, we've been using the minor prophets, not minor in content or in passion, but just uh, minor in the sense of of brevity. And what we see in our text is really the fulfillment of Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3 is a prophetic word of what Jesus would accomplish And that promise that we see in Malachi chapter 3, we find its fulfillment in John chapter 2. And we also as we reflect upon our text, we also find the application for our lives today. Take a look at Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek, this is the This is the promise where we'll see fulfillment, and this is where we'll kind of say, Lord, how do we apply this cleansing of the temple to our own lives? And so, behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into the temple. And that's what Jesus did. He's coming in. He comes to the temple. No one's expecting this to happen. If you look at at the uh, Luke account, you know that they were aware of who Jesus was, and Jesus knew who they were. But something's changed. And what's changed is Jesus has entered his public ministry, and he's come to fulfill this prophetic word in Malachi. And suddenly come into his temple, and the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. In verse 2, But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? And then it gives us two aspects of understanding that Jesus is both grace and truth, but he's also committed to our sanctification, our growth, our holiness. Take a look at the verse, those two aspects. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a what? a refiner's fire, and like a fuller's soap. Now, the last time I had any understanding of refiner's fire, I was in, I think I was a sophomore or junior in high school, and we had to, we had this crucible, and we had to learn how to separate metals. Anybody ever done that? Well, Dorothy Perello and it's Dorothy Convoy, Convoy then, but it's Dorothy Perello now, we practically burned down our science, our chemistry. And, and the, the teacher was so infuriated at Dorothy, but she liked she liked men, you know, young men. And so Dorothy failed, and I got a gentleman's C. But one of the things we had to do was to apply, put a, a metals in a crucible and heat that baby up so that they separated, and so that that pure little piece of silver would be able to get free from the lead, and then you kind of like skim off, skim off the lead, and then you've got this shimmering little bit of silver in that, in that little crucible that's being heated. That's what the Lord does in our life. We look at our life and sometimes we say, Lord, why do, I don't deserve this. I've been walking in holiness with you. I've been walking in purity. My heart's clean. My heart's clean. My hand's clean. And, and why this difficulty that I'm facing in life? That difficulty is like a refined fire. It separates the dross, the lead from that pure metal so that it can shimmer and shine and bring forth, in a sense, if we use it metaphorically, to bring forth God's reflection of God's glory from our heart. Jesus is committed to that. He is a refiner's fire and he is a fuller soap. Now, Fuller's soap is, is uh, soap used by a fuller. And a fuller's job was to take all after the sheeps were shorn and the, and the wool. And the you, know, you ever been around sheep? You ever go to Drumlin Farm and hang out with the sheep a little bit? Those babies, they're nasty. You know, we, we have these lovely little pictures we use, you know, about sheep and the Sunday school kids. Sheep, they're nasty animals and they stink and they're dirty. And so what they do is they shave, the, they shave the sheep, right? And then the fuller takes that outside of the city and he uses this alkaline-based, Now I only got a C, so don't ask me what the chemical formula for it is, but it's just nasty soap. It's strong soap. And the fuller takes that, that, that wool outside the city and he washes it and he washes it and washes it and it becomes what? Becomes white as snow. It's like that song we sang. That song is such a hallmark moment, isn't it? He makes me white. I won't sing too much. But He makes me white as snow. But how does He get to that in Allah? Gets to that part in our life by bringing us through difficulties and trials so that we're, our heart is sanctified and transform so that our lives can reflect like the shimmering metal or the, or the, or the white wool that can reflect God's work in our heart to the world around us. I remembered a story. I wish I had thought of it before Ben uh, shared that song. I remember a, a story a set of storybooks that, uh, that I read to my kids, you know, when they were little. It's, uh, maybe you guys have read them. It's uh, The Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. How many have read that? I know what I'm talking about. Well, four people will get the story, and maybe the rest of you will go Google it, but but not right now. I'm about ready to close. Um, there's, a, there's one of the stories there is The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And in the Voyage of the Don Treader, you've got Edmund and Lucy and Eustace, right? Eustace is what? Useless. But, but you got Eustace, right? And, the, and part of the voyage brings them into a storm, and, and the ship has to land on an island to be repaired. And Eustace, who is useless, didn't want to do any of the repair work. So he goes on a little journey by himself. And he comes to a dragon outside of a dragon cave. Now, Eustace wasn't that smart, and here's the line, because he didn't read the right what? Didn't read the right books. So the dragon's dying, the dragon dies. Eustace goes into the cave and sees the, the treasure hoard that the dragon has accumulated, and he puts on one of the bracelets, begins to rain. He goes into the cave puts on one of the bracelets and because he hasn't read the right books what happens to Eustace he turns into what he turns into a dragon and he he wakes and he doesn't really realize his dragon finds Lucy and Edmund and goes down and he's helpful repairing this ship as a dragon because he can catch goats and chew him up and bring him up to dinner and have some mutton and he can snap some big trees and fix the boat except that to live a dragon's life is very what very lonely as a dragon and the in the metal he's growing in the metals seeking you know cutting into his leg and then he hears this he hears aslan calling him come come and follow me and even though he's afraid he follows after Aslan, and Aslan says to him, take off your clothes. And so Edmund's scratching, scratching, the scales are falling off, and as soon as the scale, one scale falls off, it grows back again. And Aslan looks at him, he goes, I'm going to have to take off your clothes. And he takes his giant claws, Aslan the lion, type of Christ, takes his giant claws and goes, and then grabs a hold of Edmund, and drops him in the drops him in the pool and all of a sudden edmund's no longer a dragon he's a little boy again and lucy will tell you in the story that he's a much better boy this time around god is committed to sanctify us and that sanctification doesn't always feel that good We can't sanctify ourselves. We can respond in obedience to what God's doing. But as Aslan transformed the boy, Eustace, as Aslan did the work, that is what Christ does in our lives. He is full of grace and truth, yes, but he is a refiner's fire. He is like fuller soap that works in our hearts and our lives to bring about Christ-likeness. We can note these three things in closing this morning. We can note the heart of God in purifying the temple. And we can note the commitment of God to purify our hearts. And sometimes we look at our situations and say, we don't deserve this. And there could be some truth to that. But one thing we can be assured of is that it's the Lord who purifies us. And he's committed to do that. The second thing we can walk away with here this morning is that purification process. It can be harsh. See, because God is not committed to our creaturely comfort he's committed to our growth in Christ. And Romans 829 Romans 829 that's our destiny. It's predetermined that when we've come to know Christ as our savior, our destiny is not to become a better Eddie Conway or my destiny. It's to become a son, our son or a daughter of the king. And he's committed to that process and the last thing we can note this morning is a word of comfort is that he'll never leave us in the midst of that season of life. Never, mit- never leave us, never forsake us, never withdraw his presence from us, his comfort, as we're working through those times. Jesus, in the cleansing of the temple, offers us, a sh- uh, some, I would say, a shocking Reality of who God really is. Full of grace, full of truth, but also a refinedness fire. Committed to our sanctification. So why? So that God would be glorified through our life. Yes, that's the ultimate. That God would be glorified through our life. That we would reflect Christ-likeness. And the benefit for us, Psalm 103, forget not all his benefits. His peace, his sanctification, his joy, his healing, his comfort, his guidance. Our text provides us with that contrast. And so, my friends, if you find yourself in the midst of those difficult times, know this, God is working, and he will never leave you can you say amen we're gonna to get to close with the lord's table this morning and if you're worshiping from home we want to say thank you for being with us and and as you're gathering around that table g- grab a hold of your kids and and let's prepare our hearts together uh to celebrate the lord's table this morning